Welcome to the Matt Report, a podcast for building businesses with WordPress. Subscribe to the Matt Report at mattreport.com forward slash subscribe. And now your host, Matt. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Matt Report season three finale with Nathan Barry of ConvertKit. And uh, obviously, like every other episode uh, in the series, it's been a great conversation to discuss uh, what it was like for Nathan to transition from selling digital products, consulting, and being in sort of the design app design space and starting his SaaS business, ConvertKit, and really going head-to-head with other uh, automated mail messaging platforms. And it, again, if you don't know what ConvertKit is, it's uh, just like my last guest, Rob, from GetDrip. Uh, it's a uh, email marketing automation platform and uh, competes against some of the very big names in the industry like Drip, like MailChimp. Uh, like active monitor or campaign monitor, uh, and all the and all those types of SaaS platforms, and just chatting with Nathan is a real eye opener. He's a real down to earth guy, and his sort of take and philosophy on design and how that meets uh, the expectations of marketing and the overall performance of your business is just a great conversation, uh, especially to see where he's going in the face of such uh, giants in the industry. Uh, if you do like these episodes, be sure to vote it five or rate it five stars on iTunes. Be really appreciative of that. It really helps us get found. We're getting found a little bit more. I tweaked some stuff on the old podcast settings, and now we're finally ranking a little bit better in iTunes. So uh, every vote counts. Uh, every rating helps. Uh, so check us out on iTunes for sure. And this is the finale of season three. We take some time off preparing for season four. Uh, and I think season four is going to be uh, really interesting. Got some great guests lined up already. We're going to start to record these episodes. And I might do some kind of Netflix style launch of uh, all 10 or 12 episodes, depending on how many guests I can fit in. And uh, have you enjoyed over the season, over the holiday season as we approach that? And then maybe do some live shows incorporating uh, maybe what you've learned from those episodes, right? So uh, very much if you're a fan of like The Walking Dead, there's that uh, post show where they come on and talk about what happened. We'll maybe be doing the same kind of thing uh, with the new season of the Matt Report. I hope you guys and gals enjoy that. As always, mattreport.com slash subscribe. Check out my latest YouTube tutorial channel over at youtube.com slash plugin tut. Uh, we're doing all kinds of WordPress um, tutorials over there, demonstrations, videos, how-to guides, that kind of thing. Um, I recently did one on Divi, and that was quite interesting. <laughs> so if you're into uh, learning a little bit more about page builders, check out the channel. It's youtube.com slash plug and top, mattreport.com slash subscribe. Thanks, everybody. Hey, Nathan. Welcome to the Matt Report. Hey, thanks for having me. You are uh, launching a new business. Been following you for a while. You're doing uh, ebooks and consulting and helping freelancers sort of do stuff in the digital age, and now you've launched... Uh, ConvertKit, a SaaS business, but for folks who don't know anything about you, who are you and what do you do? Yeah, so my background's in design. Uh, back in high school, I picked up web design and you know, then from there I got into software design and, and uh, programming and all of that. Became obsessed with iPhone apps. Um, yeah, wrote a couple books, became known for writing books. Uh, Started teaching that and then got obsessed with email and email marketing and started ConvertKit, which uh, ConvertKit's an email marketing platform for professional bloggers. Um, we're about 21 full-time people now and growing pretty fast and, you know, working towards world domination. 
<laughs> I'm glad you used that phrase because that's actually going in my uh, world domination is actually going in my own uh, ebook that I'm writing my first one. And uh, so let's just set the stage for folks. Uh, ConvertKit, you know, off of an article written on your on your own blog, uh, raises 1.8 million from a large group of angel investors. I want to dive into that. I want to dive into what this world is like for you. Um, but before I do, I, I recently had Paul Jarvis on uh, on the show a couple weeks back. And uh, sort of the sentiment for this season of the Matt Report, for folks who are listening, is all about products, right? It's all about the small digital product, the one that isn't about world domination, right? So it's an ebook. You know, you want to sell as much as you can. Uh, it's a course, and you want to get as many people on board as you possibly can. But it's not world domination focused. Do you think it's getting harder for folks to, to kick up these sort of what I'll call part-time uh, products on the side, like they got a full-time job, and oh, by the way, they make a couple thousand on ebook sales a month or course sales a month. Do you think that space is getting a little bit difficult? And if so, why or why not? No, I, I think that it's actually getting easier and easier. The tools are getting better between you know the course platforms and the e-commerce and the email and, and all of that. Um, there's way more case studies out there now since so many more people have done it. Like You can find examples uh, in every little sub-industry that if it's getting well and i guess the the other reason that it's getting easier is the potential market just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger so yes um, more people are entering the space and it's getting crowded um or it, it could be but i would say in that case just get more specific you know in the past maybe a, a book on introduction to design maybe that would have worked now it needs to be really specific you need to be teaching um you know, mine was designed for iOS applications. That's still way too big. You know, you could do a, a course on, um, you know, designing user onboarding for iOS applications. And now we're getting somewhere. So uh, it's, it's easier and easier, I think, uh, to make a, a, to have these products making a couple thousand a month on the side. Sure. You know, and, and I think that, um, well, I do agree with that. Um, I feel like the maybe the challenge, the particular challenge, comes from uh, the individual being able to do that, right? And by do that, I mean really focus in on uh, that one specific vertical to become even more specific because I think a lot of people are afraid to get that specific because they feel like, well, there's not enough opportunity. If I don't tell them I do everything and this course teaches you everything, then I'll, I'll never be able to sell it, right? Because I won't be able to find these, these niche people, um, which is you know, eventually what people find out is quite the opposite because once you start with fine-tuning that marketing message and you do latch on to that group, you start to see the sales. In the WordPress world, more specifically for the folks that listen to this, I've seen and a lot of folks have seen the trend of, hey, maybe two years ago, even three years ago, you could come out and say, I'm a WordPress developer, I'm a WordPress designer, and people would, you know, throw money at you, right? <laughs> Just say, Fix my WordPress website for me. But I think now what we're seeing is a trend uh, saying that, you know, I'm a, you know, I'm a WordPress developer for professional bloggers. Uh, I'm a WordPress developer for the real estate, real estate industry. Any words of advice for the freelance, maybe developers or designers out there in the WordPress world from your perspective? Yeah, well, I've seen people um, focus very specifically on, like, I'm a WordPress developer for WooCommerce or I'm a WordPress developer for Gravity Forms. Um, there's someone, I believe her name is Naomi, that I met at uh, 
at a conference last year and, you know, she does that for gravity forms and, you know, by focusing on that niche, I, th I think she's built really a great business. And so she's not generic anymore. Um, we've hired a guy named Daniel Espinoza, who's been doing some amazing work for us um, on our WordPress plugins, that kind of thing. But I believe he has a focus on uh, WordPress development for WooCommerce, or at least that's his, you know, one of his strengths. So I'd say focus on that particular tool. And then, you know, you know, <laughs> that community is there. They're asking questions. They're needing add-ons. And so then instead of saying, yeah, whatever WordPress problem you have, I can solve it. You say, no, no, no. I specialize in WooCommerce. And, you know, of course, if another job comes along, you'll take it. You know? but, <laughs> right. um, but have that focus. And then it's like, do I want to hire the, the generalist for my WooCommerce project or the guy who says that, you know, his core focus is WooCommerce? And right. That's an easy, obvious decision. Yeah, right, right. Um Let's get back to the the world domination mantra. When you were doing uh, just sort of the digital product, was that the like? I'm sort of interested in learning your perspective from going from like why you started doing digital products. Like, maybe give us the backstory of like what you were doing before you get into digital products, and then like at what point did you say, you know what, digital products is not going to be world domination. But this SaaS product might be, like, was it as clear cut as that? Sort of interested in learning sort of that story and that, that behind the scenes from you. Yeah, so I've always wanted to do products. Um, you know, reading Hacker News, uh, the 37 Signals blog, you know, stuff from uh, the guys at Woo Themes early on, you know, all that kind of stuff. Any story about products or what an iPhone app launch had done or, um, Anything like that, uh, you know, it was basically what I was obsessed with. And so from there, I, you know, I just work on it on the side. Um, and then I guess the, the first products that I did that made money, actually, I don't know that I've talked about this. I attempted to start a WordPress theme company. Uh, <laughs> Welcome to the club. Yeah, exactly. Now, this was back when uh, Brian Gardner had just come out with Revolution. Um, uh, AD and uh, Co had just come out with uh, the premium news theme um, and I made a couple themes and then decided you know what this is way too crowded um, there's not you know there's not room for another player here which is crazy uh, to see that, that that far back right yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> but like premium WordPress themes have been around for like eight months maybe right right <laughs> Um, you know, and I think that's the excuse that I gave, but really I wasn't, I probably wasn't willing to put in the time and effort in order to get that off the ground. Cause I think we want to, we want to have this idea of like, Oh, I'm going to create this product on the side and I'll work on it like an hour a night and you know, it'll come together. And that's just in those early days, if you don't have an audience or a product or something like that, you're really going to be, you're going to need to put in like 20 hours a week, probably minimum on the side to pull this together. And so if you're not dedicating like an entire day on the weekend and, you know, two or three hours every single night um, or early in the morning or whatever, like you're not going to be able to pull it off. Right. Um, and then you have to have a time horizon of probably two years. I think if your time horizon is like, yeah, I'm going to get this out and see how it goes. And, and it's, you know, a month or two months, like you're not going to get anywhere. Um, 
so let's see. My yeah, my transition to products was um, I attempted to start a little hosting company, uh, WordPress themes, um, and then the iPhone apps were the first one, like the first product that actually started to make some money. Um, and by the time I quit my job, I was doing about three thousand a month on the side from the iPhone apps. Um, and then that never really got beyond the three thousand a month. Um, but about a year after quitting my job, I launched my first book, which was called the App Design Handbook, and that did twelve thousand dollars in revenue in the first day. Um, and then you know that that launched me into the whole path of writing a blog and writing books and and that's where things started to take off and um all the numbers are public on my blog and everything so sure. happy to happy to share anything but that ended up being, those like books and courses ended up being about a $250,000 a year business for me the thing about a $12,000 day right i've had a $4,000 day or five four to $5,000 day with a plugin that we launched a while back and it's like it's a it's a rush right there's, it's like, wow, I struck gold. Like, this is going to be, you know, this is going to be great. Um, and in one's mind, like, you, you think product because, well, product is sort of autopilot. It's sort of passive in the sense that people can just come and purchase this at any time. Uh, but could you lend some insight into the promotion side of, of the business, the marketing side of the business? Like, you have the $12,000 day, day because one, it took you, I don't know, I'll just guess, 60 days to build, build and write the book, probably more, I'd, I'd imagine. Uh, and then you probably spent a good, you know, two weeks planning, like, a launch preparation, I'm assuming, right? Getting people to be ready to retweet it, guest posts, right. guest uh, appearances. What's your words of wisdom for, like, splitting the time of you've got a product, now, how much time do you put into marketing and promoting that? So that, that $12,000 day happens over and over again. Yeah, so I think in pretty much everything that we do, we should split our time about 50-50 between creation and promotion. Um, and so for me, it took me, that first book took me about seven months to write. Wow. Um, and that's, you know, I didn't have like a writing habit built up, so I was establishing that habit. Where I mean, the next book took me 90 days start to finish from thinking of the idea to launch, you know, so it definitely gets easier as you build these habits and you know what to do. Um, but the first time, you know, was seven, actually maybe more like eight months of me like working away at it. Um, but the promotion really has to start about 90 days out. Um, and, and that would start by putting up a landing page and saying, Hey, um, I'm working on this new product. I have this idea for this, uh, this iPhone app or this WordPress plugin you know, here's some of the early mock-ups. Or if it's a book, it's like, I'm writing a book on how to design iPhone applications. You know, and then you're going to have an email opt-in form. And you need to start collecting those email addresses. And then you should have a blog through this time. If you don't already, 90 days out is a great time to launch one. And then you just need to start um, thinking about what your target, like, define your target market. Get specific, like we talked about. Um, but then just think, what do they want to know? In the case of a book, it's easy because they want training and, you know, and blog posts are just more training. And so start, you know, actually I'm wearing my, my ConvertKit t-shirt right now. Uh, it says teach everything you know. That's like basically my entire marketing philosophy in one little phrase. And so basically all you do is say, you know, what do I know about designing iPhone apps? And you start writing those in uh, 
in tutorial form, in blog post form, and say, hey, if you like this, I have this book coming out, go here to sign up. Um, and then, you know, if you're doing like a WordPress plugin or something like that instead, just try to get specific about who you're targeting and then say, okay, what do those people want to know? You know, what are people who are buying a WooCommerce plugin that does X, you know, what do they want to know? Well, they probably want to know how to customize their WooCommerce store. They probably want to know, uh, you know, maybe how to increase sales. So you could even, you could write the more technical posts that are directly related to your plugin, but you could also write posts of, I interviewed 10 top uh, WooCommerce store owners, and these are the marketing tactics that I learned from them. So even if you don't know marketing, you could, you know, aggregate that content through interviews. And that would be interesting to people who are obviously, if you use WooCommerce, you're probably trying to increase revenue. Sure. Uh, so I would say just that teach everything you know. And then I even, what I did was when I launched the book, I said, okay, well, what do I know? I now learned about how to do a book launch and all the numbers and that kind of thing. And so then I immediately wrote a post summarizing the launch saying, this is exactly how I did it. You know, I'm no expert, but this is what I learned, where I learned it, and how it worked. Um, and I did thousands of dollars in sales for the book off of that post that was just talking about, you know, here's what I learned. It has nothing to do with iPhone apps. Right, but, right, right. People probably know. just want to see what the outcome was of that of that entire process, right? I mean, when they're reading that, they're like, well, let's let's see what happened after the end of this journey. Let's see what it actually looks like. Yeah, and it became a new funnel to get people in, right? right? That post went on Hacker News, and I don't think it went, you know, crazy viral or anything, but it got some more traffic, and people were like, oh, you know, people like you and I would read through it and be like, cool, this is a great story of what you can do on the side, you know, writing a book. We're both technical people. We both might have an interest in iPhone apps, and so some of that spills over, or it's like, you know, so teach everything you know. Just put it all out there. That's why... Even though, uh, you know, our customer base for ConvertKit, they're bloggers, um, they probably don't care about building a SaaS company, but there's some number of people, you know, that read my blog that do, or that could be a fit for a ConvertKit that do. And so, you know, I write all those posts about, um, you know, being self-funded and, and growing the company and the challenges of that and hiring and everything else, just because it's living out the philosophy of teach everything you know. Sure. Well, I, you know, I, I'm trying to remember how how far back uh, it's been since I've sort of been following you, and it probably was through Brian Castle is where I uh-huh. probably met uh, met your work. And I remember, <clears throat> I remember when when I first discovered you, and I, re- I remember just sort of the artwork, the design. I mean, everything was everything was sexy. It was, I mean, it was just a great great design uh, on all the products. Is there a way for folks to, you know, maybe I hate to say it, but is there a way for them to buy good design? Uh, or not even just in, in books, but maybe they have a SaaS company and they don't even know how to design a website. Like, is, I mean, is there a, an approach that you might tell people to find good designers for their work? Yeah, I mean, you can absolutely buy good design in the same way that you can buy good WordPress plugins and good developers and all of that. You know, everything's for sale. It's just, Finding you know, right caught. Finding the right person, I'd imagine. Yeah, finding the right person um, and obviously having the money to pay for it. Right. So I, I think for a lot of people early on, the objection might not be, um, how do I find a, a freelance designer? Because like, go on Dribbble, go on Upwork, you'll find people. Ask around on Twitter, follow your favorite designers, 
see who they, you know, you can email them and say, hey, I bet you're not taking work, but who do you recommend? Sure. Um, and they'll all have someone. Um, now, the answer you're going to get back is like, oh, talk to this person. They do amazing work. And you're like, sweet. And so you do, and they're $150 <laughs> an hour. Right. And you're like, oh, crap. Um, so what I would do is look at your own skill set uh, and see what, what you can contribute. So at my last job, there were a bunch of us learning to, to design and program iPhone applications. The developers were all super experienced you know, programmers, but new to iOS and Objective-C, um, and totally new, new to the design side. And then I was, you know, I knew the design side, but brand new to iOS and knew very, very little coding. But we're all on the side trying to build our own iPhone apps. And so we would just trade. I, they, they would like consult with me and tell me all the places that, you know, I could take these 50 lines of code and, and condense it down to 10 or five. Um, and then I would help them with the design side of things. And so look at what skill set you have and, and trade it, you know, with, with other people. Um, you're not, you may not get, you know, the highest quality, but you'll learn along the way. And, uh, uh you know, you might get it free. Now to do that, you have to have a skill set. You can't be like, Oh, I'm the idea guy. Um, <laughs> and come in and say like, Hey, if you program this for, for me for free, I'll give you 10% of the company. Like if that's you, then I was going to say something not nice. Um, <laughs> <laughs> There's the door. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, <laughs> you know, so you have to learn a skill. If you don't have that skill, then go sign up for Treehouse or code school or, you know, start buying marketing courses or design courses, you know, and do the work and learn that. Yeah. Um, have something valuable to contribute. Um, but yeah, you can absolutely hire those out or trade with people. There are so many, like any developer listening to this, there are so many designers who are like, oh man, I know how to design a WordPress plugin or I know how to design this or that, but coding it is just like this giant like black box. I have no idea how to do that. Right. And you're like, oh, that's the easy part. You right. Know? <laughs> right. And so I'd say find people you can trade with. Yeah. Or you know, if you have a successful freelance business, save up that cash. Right. You know? Um, don't buy the new car this year. Instead, save up that ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars and uh, invest it in your product over time. Right. You know, I, that's another thing that we've talked about a lot on the show. The last uh, few episodes is, is the partnerships, right? And, and WordPress. You know, everybody approaches it. It's, it's open source. There's this community, and everyone's the feeling or the idea, especially if you go to like a WordCamp, um, is that everyone's there to help each other. Uh, in that, that you do get help if you if you ask for it, that kind of thing. But so few, like in your example, designers and developers actually partner up. I think everybody gets afraid because it's business, and oh my god, we're gonna have to talk about like how much money I have to give this person. Well, so what? You're gonna have that conversation. Just have the conversation uh, and see what people want. And if it's if it's too crazy, then move on and find somebody else. There's plenty of people that would want to partner. Yeah, and the thing that I'd add to that is everyone wants to help someone who's in motion. So there's all these people out there who are like, yeah, I want to build, I want to build a side project, I want to build a product, and they just sit back and as far as they get is reading like all of the product posts that show up on Hacker News, like that's as far as they get into the process. 
And oh, and they email you know influencers and ask them stupid questions, right? Um, <laughs> you know, where it's like, <laughs> seriously, I wrote eight blog posts on this. Please just go read one of those. Um, you know, but the people out there who say, uh, who take the other approach and say, this is what I'm doing. This is the progress that I made. Oh, here's another blog post updating you on the progress. Like you're in motion. You're getting places. Whenever you get advice, you're putting it into action, and you have a clear goal and you're moving towards it every day. If that's you and that's what you're projecting publicly, then people want to help you. And so that's when, when you send emails and say, Hey, you know, I I have this exact specific problem. I've researched it. I think you give me some good insight on it. Can you get on the call for, you know, 30 minutes? Um, that's when people will start to return your calls, return your emails. You know, I have blog posts on my site about, like getting a lot of copywriting help from Amy Hoy, um, as an example, or like running product ideas by Heat and Shaw, um, you know, from Kissmetrics and Crazy Egg, and all these great companies, uh, and they all, you know, took my calls and were willing to help because I was working quickly towards a specific goal, and they both said that of yeah, we want to help people who are in motion. Right. Yeah, and that rings true to the freelancer uh, or even boutique agency that gets these inbound leads from, you know, random cold customer that's looking to build a website. I know I get them all the time, so I'm assuming a lot of people get them. So, you know, a customer approaches us with, you know, hey, we've, you know, we've got this budget and uh, here's this, you know, here's our idea. And it's a wall of text, right? It's like leagues of text. Uh, it's just like, and we want to do this, and we're doing it, and we think we want to do that, and we kind of like what this person's doing over here, and it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, map it out. Do some screenshots. Um, wireframe it, or get a good fundamental idea going, because it looks like you haven't even hashed out the idea yet. Um, so in the uh, freelance world, well, I think a lot of folks who, when they're looking for a good clients, that's one good way to weed out the ones that aren't ready yet. Or the ones that at least you know you're going to have to you know sell them on some consulting or or, or project discovery or project planning um, because they haven't even figured out what they really want yet. Yeah, uh, absolutely. At what point did you let's transition to the uh, to convert kit? At what point did you just say to hell with Mailchimp? <laughs> I need something else. Like, how did that idea? spawn um were you afraid of anything at one point did you just go into it fearlessly and say you know i'm going to build this product because it's scratching my own itch i don't care what you know bigger badder companies are doing out there um take us down that path yeah so i felt like i'd spent the previous year or so just talking about designing software um because i stopped taking on freelance work um you know i i quit my job two years earlier or a year earlier. I don't even know anymore. Um, yeah, about a year and a half prior to that. And so I want, wanted to get back into actually building software. I wanted the next challenge. And so that's why I started look, to look to SaaS. And then, you know, from the email side, I just thought, you know, if this, if I can build something that's built just for me, there's a lot of people like me and, uh, you know, we can, this can turn into something. And worst case, you know, I use it and like 20 other people use it. And it'll make a couple thousand dollars of recurring revenue and that'll be just fine. Now the hope was to grow into something that was doing 
you know, maybe 50 or 70,000 a month in recurring revenue. Um, but it's funny to look back on that now. Cause that was honestly like the, the height of my aspirations. Um, so now, not, not particularly world domination just yet, maybe in the background, but you weren't thinking like, Oh no, I didn't think of that. I could build something on the level of a MailChimp or a campaign monitor Got or it. base camp type of thing. Got it. Um, and now I say the world domination phrase. It's mostly joking. Right, um, right. <laughs> I go to a, I go to a conference every year called the World Domination. The goal for the company in the beginning was to get to like fifty thousand, you know, or seventy thousand a month in revenue. Because I was looking at, at uh, a bunch of you know relatively well known bootstrap software companies, and and that's the level that they were at. At least it seemed achievable. And so I didn't have this huge ambition, you know, to uh, uh, for world domination or, you know, something like that from the early days. Cause I, I didn't really know that it was possible. Right. Right. Looking back, I mean, so from where you're at right now with, um, did you say 20, was it 22 people, 26 people? Uh, 21, 21 to give you some context around that. And our, the last episode, uh, that came out before this one comes out was with Rob Walling of drip and, sort of his thing was, man, I just really wasn't ready for how fast things were going to scale. Not that he said he wasn't ready, but it was just definitely a roller coaster ride to have to continue to hire more people, find new talent, grow the business on the technical side. Um, That was like sort of his big, wow, uh, this SaaS thing really took off, which was good. I just wasn't really expecting for this kind of fast-paced growth about from your side anything that you have been sort of surprised with or maybe you weren't ready for in the beginning yeah i think it'd be similar things we didn't have rapid growth from the beginning um you know about two years into convertkit we were doing thirteen hundred dollars a month in revenue um and so that was obviously wasn't rapid growth um but then in the last year and a half since then We've absolutely, absolutely hit rapid growth. So all of the numbers are, are, are public. You can find them at convertkit.bearmetrics.com. Um, but in that, basically October 2014 uh, to today in late August, uh, we grew from 1300 a month in revenue to about 375000 a month um, in revenue. And so averaging you know, more than 20% month-over-month growth for that entire time. Um, and so, actually, we ran into a lot of the, the same, you know, technical and scaling issues that that Rob did. Um, I think we ended up growing faster because I think back in, uh, let's see, I think in April of, of last year, we were at like five thousand a month in revenue, and they were at like thirty five thousand a month in revenue. Um, and I think fast forward a year later, we were, um, or you know, closer to this time, I think we we're more like we were getting closer to double their size. Um, so it's absolutely a problem. <laughs> Rapid growth, it's hard. You know, getting to the, like, you know, I was, when it, it took a long time to get to that first number of 1 billion, like, background jobs processed and 100 million emails a month sent. And now all of that just, like, happens all the time. Um, what is I that? Remember, what is that? Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, what does that look like? I mean, you as the architect in the beginning, right, and – 
you know, you, you spin up a VPS, uh, you're sending email just for maybe your own blog, and then all of a sudden you've got a half a dozen customers and a dozen customers, and, you know, Nathan's still in there in the command line, you know, coding stuff. <laughs> but here we are, you know, a, like you said, you know, whatever the number is, billion background jobs running. I mean, I can't even imagine, like, did you just say, give this to somebody else to do? <laughs> I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to be responsible for this. Find somebody who's uh, a technical lead. Or are you still doing the technical side of it? Yeah, so I'm not that great of a programmer. Uh, I, you know, I, I've coded a bunch of WordPress themes, a few plugins, written some iPhone apps, that kind of thing. But um, I didn't code the back end from the beginning. I hired that out to contractors. And then when it, when it came time to scale, and I thought, okay, we're going to get serious about this, uh, then I hired uh, the best developer that I've worked with over the years. Uh, his name's David Wheeler. And hired him. He was um, one of our early full-time employees, and then, you know, later on, I named him uh, like technical co-founder. Um, and so he's been leading the engineering team ever since. Um, and so now we have uh, five full-time engineers. Um, so yeah, I'm not that involved in that side of it anymore because it's it's way outside of my my skill set. It's right. it's beyond me. <laughs> right. What do you think the turning point was? Like, you know, you mentioned you go from the, the 1300 in, in revenue and then maybe up to 3500 in revenue. What do you think the big turning point was? Was it a mindset? Was it a new feature that you launched? Was it a new marketing message? Like, what do you think really kicked it up into, into sixth gear? Yeah, there's a couple of, of changes that I made there. Um, the first one was deciding to go, like, get serious about it and go pro. Um, so I had this book and course business that was doing well that I was running at the same time. And I decided to effectively uh, shut that down, you know, stop working on it, put it on autopilot, let it coast into the ground um, and focus a hundred percent on ConvertKit, even though it was making basically no money at the time. Um, the next thing was is we, we picked a niche. So instead of being like email marketing for people who have, similar problems as Nathan and might like a similar tool, maybe. Um, <laughs> it changed to email marketing for authors, uh, and we immediately got so much more traction. That ended up being the wrong niche, and so we later changed it to email marketing for professional bloggers. Um, but just owning that niche and focusing on it was really, really powerful. And then I started direct sales. So instead of relying on content marketing, I worked on making every sale individually. Um, and that's how we went from, you know, 20 customers to 50 to, um, a few hundred. And it was slow going at first where, uh, so the October, 2014, you know, 1300 a month in revenue, um, you know, then we got to 1600 and 2000, you know, and then April 2015 was 5,000 a month in revenue. Um, so it didn't take off in a crazy way right from the beginning. Um, but you know, that, that kind of compounded and we just kept putting up, you know, bigger and bigger monthly growth. Two things I want to uh, pull out from that <clears throat> is, number one, making that decision from sort of saying, you know, I'm going to sunset my traditional digital product business. That's a funny word, traditional. Yeah. Digital. <laughs> it's like now that's a good traditional thing is just like digital products. Uh, sunsetting that digital business product our digital product business, and then saying, you know what, I'm going to go all in on this uh, SaaS business. 
how did you convince yourself? Like, what was that gap? Because I hear this a lot with people. They say, well, I just stopped doing client services and I focused on my plugin that was making me 200 bucks a month, but now it makes me 20,000 bucks a month. Like, how did you convince yourself to say bye to the, to the what I'll say, the ebook business and, and focus on the SaaS business? You just know, there's a gut feeling and you said, I'm just going to go with this. Yeah, so it actually goes back to a conversation I had with Heaton Shaw uh, from Kissmetrics, Crazy Egg, um, etc. Uh, back in, when would this have been? April 2014, so a little over two years ago. Um, and we're at a conference and walking back from dinner and he just said, you know, Nathan, I think you should shut down ConvertKit. Um, and that's, that's not a nice thing to say to someone. Like, hey, this product that you've worked on for years, um, you should just shut it down. And, you know, and so he kind of let me sit with that as he continues. Like, you know, you've been working on this. You've been putting a lot of time and effort into it. It's not working. It's not growing. Um, you'll be successful at something. You know, you have been successful at <laughs> most courses. Right, right. So, you know it's time to call it and, and move on. Um, and he let me sit with that as we walked for a couple more blocks. And then he said like, or you can give it the time, money and attention it deserves and build it into something real. But whatever you're doing, it's clearly not working. So something has to change. So that means it's time to either double down or shut it down. And so I always joke that I did, you know, what uh, everyone does when they hear really great advice. And that's that I waited six months to take any kind of action <laughs> whatsoever. And so, you know, fast forward to October 2014, revenue is at its lowest point, you know, basically since launch. It's no longer even covering its basic costs. Um, and so that I, I had to decide what to do. And, you know, the shutdown or double down. And so I, I summed it up with two questions. The first was, uh, do I still want this? Like, do I still want to run a software company as much as I do, as much as I did the day that I started? You know, because we have all this initial excitement. Um, it's like, yeah, let's do this. I can't wait. And do I still feel that enthusiasm? Do I still want it? Because if not, then the answer is super obvious. Just shut it down. You know, there's lots of great things to work on. Um, there's no reason to continue working on something just because you spent the last two years working on it. Um, and so, but the answer to that question was, yeah, I absolutely wanted to be the CEO of a software company. Um, I wanted the new challenge. I wanted to make this work. I was so excited about the idea. Um, so, you know, based on that, I don't know. I, I needed to keep working on it. This, the second question it was, have I given... ConvertKit every possible chance to succeed? Because if yes, then clearly my motivation and my energy is not enough to make this work. If I've given it every possible chance to succeed, succeed and we're at $1,300 a month in revenue, then it's time to shut it down. But if the answer is no, and which for me it was no, you know, I'd been working on it on the side, I'd been averaging five to 10 hours a week on it, you know that kind of thing, well, then there's a huge disconnect between me saying, yeah, I want this versus my actions. And so looking at that, I thought, okay, I really, really want this, but I haven't been giving it every possible chance to succeed. So before I shut it down, I need to truly give it my best effort. Otherwise, I'm always going to be wondering, could I have made that work? 
Um, so based on that little framework, I decided to double down on ConvertKit. So if that meant, you know, the things we talked about earlier, but also investing all of my savings into it. So uh, put $50,000 into the company. Um, didn't take, it didn't really make it much of any money for about a year and a half. Um, but personally, cause everything just got reinvested in the company. Um, you know, in the end, like the end result is that it went amazing. The middle result is that we, I went completely broke. Right. Um, I remember that conversation. I th- I don't know if it was actually on Rob's podcast that you, you talked about that, but I remember, you know, the story of you either talking to your, your, wife about that uh if 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 i'm correct saying like i'm gonna invest all all of this money and it was and you know maybe and she supported you on the on the idea of doing that yeah exactly and so it ended up that basically by june of the next year um we were at ten thousand dollars a month in revenue still losing a bit of money each month and had burned through all of our savings and um you know, I always joke like I used to have a wealthfront account, um, and you know, and so we we basically spent all of that money just to to live on and to run the company. Um, but by August, we were just barely profitable, and then uh, you know, fast forward to now, and and we do a little over a hundred thousand a month in profit. And so, um, what does the the other thing you had mentioned is you know when you decided to focus on it and, and sort of double down on it. You, you started, and by the way, I love this. I love the, the concept of, it's not even really a concept. It's just, I mean, it's just a fact is when you, when somebody sits back and looks at their product and they say, have I given this enough chance, right? Have mm-hmm. I really truly given this enough chance? And I see this, I mean, I'm guilty of it. You're guilty of it. Everyone's guilty of it. Is you start building something, you start doing something for six months, a year, two years. And then you're like, uh, probably, you know, this isn't really working out, but we don't take a step back and say, have I given it my all? Have I just chased yeah. sh- shiny objects around as so many of us do because it's so easy? Um, so that's awesome uh, that you're able to, uh, to recognize that, identify it and take action with it. Um, but you said something else. So you said, you know, I started doing direct sales. What did that look like? Just, you know, one, one example did, was it literally picking up the phone and calling people? Was it, you know, sort of scraping the web and finding people that would be an ideal fit for the product and just using their contact form? What did, what did that look like doing some outbound sales to get people signed up? Yeah. So it started with my existing network. Uh, and that was, you know, looking through, um, the bloggers I was friends with, you know, readers of my blog, all that kind of thing. People I talked to who I knew, you know, might be interested or might be a good fit. Um, and you know, I go from email and then try to get those people on the phone and then, you know, find out what their problems were, what their frustrations were and all of that. And then see if convert could be a fit. Um, then from there I started making lists in two different ways. So one, I would do it based on the, the industry or the niche. So we already had email marketing for professional bloggers as a niche. Um, so now I can start to look at, you know, at, at those successful blogs Um, and then on the other side, uh, well, so with that, I should say that we narrowed it down a lot more. So instead of just professional bloggers, we can narrow it down and say, okay, um, let me get a list of, um, uh, fitness bloggers who are women or, um, you know, go into a a subset of that. Like one that we did as an example was, um, paleo recipe bloggers. 
who are women. Who are women. So now all of a sudden you're like, yeah, let me list all the bloggers. That's not a useful thing. But if you go to a really focused niche like that, then you'll end up with a list of like 20 or 25. Um, and then you talk to everyone on that list. Guess what? They all know each other's blogs. They all follow each other. Often they're in the same masterminds, that kind of thing. And they're like, wow, everyone's moving to ConvertKit. It's like, no, 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 there's 25 of you. I just happened to, <laughs> you know. <laughs> we just created this little echo chamber. Right, right. Uh, another one would be like men's fashion bloggers, right? Like that's not that huge of an industry. Um, so you can list all of those. Uh, so that's one way to tackle it. Uh, and we still got to do that today. Um, and then the other way to tackle it is, um, you know, using tools like built with and nerdy data and saying like, give me a list of all the people within this industry who use MailChimp or who use, um, Infusionsoft along with lead pages or something like that. Um, and then I'll return lists. They tend to be lower quality, but you can filter through that and, um, and know who to contact. So we, um, we still, you know, do a lot of direct outreach and those are the two methods that we use. And basically the way it works is we send an email and say, hey, what are your frustrations with MailChimp, AWeber, whatever? Um, and then, you know, they come back and be like, oh, well, with MailChimp, I'm, I'm sick of getting charged for duplicate subscribers. Um, I hate there's no way to tag people on your list. I can't track who purchased, you know, all this stuff. And then it was an easy transition to like, yeah, that's actually, those are my exact frustrations with MailChimp. Um, you know, so that's why I built ConvertKit and I'd love to show it to you. Do you want to hop on a Skype call? And now the most critical aspect of direct sales is what happens next. Um, and that is at the end of the call, what would always happen is people would say, oh man, this looks great. I love what you're doing, uh, but I'm not going to switch. And the reason is because it's just too much work. I have all these opt-in forms. I have, you know, 30 emails in a sequence after people sign up. I have these automations connected to my e-commerce, you know, all this stuff. And I'm just not going to switch. And so I spent all this time trying to convince them, oh, it's not that hard. You know, here we'll show you how to do it step by step. And finally, what I switched to doing is just saying, and this was partially a move of desperation, um, it's not that hard. We'll do it for you and we'll do it for free. And so we started doing concierge migrations. And that's where we would... Um, uh, do you know get access to their WordPress site, their MailChimp account, and everything else, and switch over every opt-in form, export and import every subscriber, copy and paste every email, um, and that closed the deals. And we still do that today. We do about eight to ten migrations every single week now, um, and that's been a huge, huge turning point in the business. Wow, that's amazing. Uh, I mean, the the boots on the ground effort to number one, like do the research, talk to people. It's something that's like, not like it's very often overlooked in, in a lot of businesses to do that stuff. I think specifically in the WordPress plugin uh, world that the price points, and maybe you have some insight into this, but I think plugins are still too cheap. They're still too inexpensive. And I think that, for a lot of people, they look at their $59, even $100 plugin, and they're like, ah, you know, I, I can't take the time to do that. I can't take the time to do the outreach, the list building, maybe the demonstrations, you know, concierge service to maybe you know, switch them from one plugin to another because the, the money is just not, 
not there. You know, there's, there's, there's definitely some, there's an overwhelming feeling, I think, that, in the, especially in the WordPress world, that I think people want to move to SaaS. And, you know, there's no real question here. It's just sort of a statement, whereas I think that a lot of people are saying, you know, maybe this, you know, one annual fee of $59 isn't going to cut it anymore <laughs> right. uh, with as much, with as much uh, competition that's out there. You know, and folks who that can maybe double down on their plugin to become a SaaS product, if it's even possible. I see a lot of people trying to like squeeze SaaS into a, something that doesn't that doesn't need to be. Um, yeah. You know, uh, so there there's that. Uh, but you know, I think that people really have to take a, a cold hard look at 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 their business model and say uh, it's it's going to be it's going to be tough, right? To, for right. Us to to build a business this way. Yeah, and and the other thing is. Um, one of the, I guess, one reason that we made that decision was that, uh, you know, early on, I, I realized that every sale that I made made the next sale easier because people would say, "Well, who uses you?" And at first, I'd be like, "Well, this person does," and then after a while, I'd be like, "This person, this person, this person," and then I got to the point where I could list people in each individual specific um, industry. You know, so if you were a, a health and wellness blogger, I could list six health and wellness bloggers who you knew and followed who used ConvertKit, and so. That got easier and easier. And so if you find that for yourself of like for every new account that we get on, selling the next one gets a tiny little bit easier, then it might be worth doing those things that don't scale. Um, even if the money is not there and you add it up and you're like, oh, if I do this, I make a dollar fifty an hour. Nice. Um, it might be worth doing that early on uh, to get it done. Um, before we go, there's one other thing that I wanted to comment on, and that is the – uh, you mentioned our funding post, right? Uh, raising one point eight million. <laughs> right, right, right. right. Um, I want to make sure that uh, yeah. people read that post all the yes. way through. Yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yep. I was. I was gonna. I was gonna bring that up uh, because I, I. What I wanted to do was get people to uh, realize what you were doing. Uh, you know, with that. So, if you want to give uh, your quick two minute insight into uh, into what that article was all about. Yeah. So basically, we went down the road of. You know, should we raise funding? Should we not? We've been bootstrapped for quite a while, but it was actually pretty challenging of like supporting this rapid growth. You know, growing faster than most Silicon Valley startups, um, but just on you know my own personal cash reserves that had already been spent. Um, and we made the decision to get really profitable um, to just grow based on revenue, even though uh, that slowed down our growth a bit. Um, and so I wrote this post. You know, ConvertKit raises one point eight million dollars from large group of angel investors and it reads like a press release and it goes on, you know, and like, it says like basically that a group of 5,000 angel investors, you know, put in and at that point you're like 5,000, that's a lot of angel investors. Yeah. You know, so it's like <laughs> these investors more commonly referred to as customers, um, you know? And so the point of the post is like, I, I wanted to say, Hey, this is the route we've taken. And also we're here because of our customers. Uh, we don't serve anybody else. We don't, we're not here for an exit, um, you know. And so the, the post just ended. Of um, we're proud to be independent and customer funded, um, and just telling people like, hey, we have these acquisition offers all the time. Um, you know, uh, like when Lead Pages acquired Drip. Um, you know, based on the, the the public timeline, Lead Pages reached out to us a few months before they started conversations with Drip, and you know, we had four conversations over you know, over the year. And we just said, no, like every time they made an offer, reached out, it's just, nope. Um, we have a bigger mission. We have, um, 
something longer term that we want to work towards. And so we're not, not interested in selling. And, uh, so that, that's what that, that post was about was really to say thanks to our customers and, you know, to reiterate that commitment to, uh, to not sell and to always serve them and not an acquirer or an investor. That's awesome. And I and totally respect that. Um, totally respect that uh, initiative that and just the culture of that, right? Because it's, it, it was in the world of the traditional VC stuff and angel investing, you see all this and you see people moving at such a rapid pace that it just becomes this sort of no faced entity anymore. There's no real feeling in the company. Um, you know, when they start taking on millions and then multiple rounds and all this stuff, you sort of just lose sight of what it was all about. So I do totally respect that. Of course, until you have dinner with Heaton Shaw again and he's like, <laughs> I think you should get funding. You know what you should do? Shut it down. Or, <laughs> or take $5 million in investment. <laughs> That's right. Uh, Nathan, this has been an amazing uh, episode. Thanks for sharing all your insights. Where can folks find you on the web to say thanks? Um. You can find me on Twitter, just at Nathan Barry. Barry is spelled B-A-R-R-Y. Um, sometimes I write stuff on my blog, which is NathanBerry.com. And then, of course, everything I do is at ConvertKit.com. That's everything that, that we focus on now. That's awesome. Uh, everybody else, MattReport.com slash subscribe. Join the mailing list, number one way to stay connected. And if you do enjoy this episode, leave us a five-star review on iTunes. Uh, just search for WordPress Podcast. You'll find it there. Until next time, everybody, thanks for listening.